Hey everyone, this is Achu Tabava from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Friday, everybody. Today we are going to take a look once again at Venus's upcoming conjunction to Uranus in the sign of Taurus. This is happening over the weekend, and so we're going to take a look at this archetypal combination, and as I like to say, we're going to turn the jewel. I've got a list of 10 things to watch for, 10 themes that I think speak to Venus Uranus. By the way, when I do these, I look back over previous talks that I've given on Venus and Uranus, and I try to come up with things I haven't said before. So if you ever wanted to go back and listen to previous talks on Venus Uranus, there's a bunch in my archives, and you could always listen to you know, three other Venus Uranus talks and hear me say slightly different things about it. It's in this way, in the in by means of hearing astrologers, not just myself, but probably a handful of astrologers talk about an archetypal combination over and over and over again. That you start to it, it, it's as though you're you're meditating on a mandala, and the the mandala has the jewel at the center, and you know that jewel is Venus Uranus, but you have to spend time sort of spacing out and getting lost in different facets of this mandala or tapestry and as you do so you you start to take in the essence at a very deep level so i just i say that because every time that i talk about these combinations they are a little bit different sometimes i'll say things that are familiar but most of the time i'm trying to say it in a slightly different way um, so that we can deepen our understanding of this and of course it helps if you watch for the appearance of venus uranus in your own life that's the ultimate teacher because when you feel it experientially when you notice it experientially that's when it really starts to become a part of your body's sort of astrological instinctual intelligence it's like each one of us, as you study astrology, starts to know the transits because you've lived them. And that is way more important than book knowledge. At the same time, you need that kind of reflection. You need talks and study uh, from a sort of philosophical point of view so that it helps you to refine and um, uh, sort of refresh your ability to perceive the actual archetypal combinations in life, in yourself and in others, if you read charts for people and so forth. So... We are going to take a look at Venus Uranus today. I've also done an I Ching reading for Venus Uranus. That should give us some insight as well. So we're going to start with the I Ching reading and then go through a list of 10 things to watch for. Um, before we do that, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments today. That helps the algorithm pick, uh, pick things up a little bit more and helps the channel get uh, to people who might find it interesting. Uh, transcripts of my daily talks can always be found on my website. And don't forget this weekend, the new class, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystics, starts. Uh, you can find all that you need to know about the program on my website, nightlightastrology.com. Go to the courses page, click on the first year course. Don't forget that year two and my horary classes also start this weekend. Um, if you have a background in traditional astrology, you are more than welcome to sign up for the horary class. Because I like students to go through my year one program before taking my year two, about 99% of the time we make people take year one first. Uh, but if you have a background in traditional astrology and you're looking for a horary class, then check that out. That begins this weekend as well. But otherwise, under the courses page, go to the first year program, scroll down. This is a one-year class in ancient Hellenistic astrology. You can move at your own pace. You can attend the live webinars or you can download the recordings of the webinars from the class website which is something you have perpetual access to you can download everything from and you always have like a username and, and id or a login or whatever that uh, allows you to sign in and um, you know that'll be there perpetually so uh, you have 
uh, one-year program, and you can learn what uh, some of my alumni have said about it recently. If you go back and watch my interview with Dana, the self-help witch on Wednesday, talking about the path of professional astrology, she talks about the program a little bit as well. Uh, the course is 30 webinars on the year. They happen from 12 to about 2.30 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday. Can't watch it live? That's fine. They're all recorded and kept for you with transcripts of the Q&A and everything. Uh, transcripts of all the talks are available too. Then we have uh, 12 guest lectures that come in throughout the year. Uh, we have interactive group forum discussions that are actually staffed by several tutors that answer all of your questions always within 24 hours. You can email me throughout the year with any questions you have about what you're learning. Um, we also have breakout study sessions where in between major units, if you're like, I'm having trouble with this, you can come to a tutoring session and get extra help. So it's really a program that's there for you to go as deeply as you want to with it. Um, at the bottom, you'll find payment options. The early bird payment is only available through tomorrow. That is Saturday. So you have to take advantage of it today or tomorrow to get that $500 off. Otherwise, you can stretch it out over a year. Or we have we do still have a few uh, need-based tuition um, uh, sort of assistance packages available for people. So if you need some help to take the program, you have a strong intention, you're like, I want to take this class, I want to study, you know, astrology, uh, but I, you know, might have a fixed budget. And so I need some help. Tell us your situation, click on the apply now button. We're glad to help people out to try to make it possible. In fact, people don't just use it as a discount if you can afford it. But if you're struggling and you need, you know, you need to us to help you, uh, work something out, you're a single parent, you're, you know, you're only working part-time COVID, you know, has thrown life off the rails for a lot of people. So we're very happy to, uh, to work with people. All right. Well, today we are looking at Venus's upcoming conjunction with Uranus, which is happening over the weekend in the sign of Taurus, right around some of the degrees that the eclipse, the recent eclipse in Taurus happened in. Yesterday, I took a look at the 12 whole sign house horoscopes for the sign of Taurus specifically to say, look, wherever that whole sign house of Taurus is located in your birth chart, that's where the action is. It has been for a while now, and it continues to be as Venus is going through this conjunction with Uranus. Um, so let's take a look at the real-time clock and kind of refresh on the perfection range of this transit. So here is the real-time clock. And uh, let's go ahead and um, put it here so we can see the, oops, you know what? I'm in Hellenistic mode. So let me put in the outers. All right. So here we go. So we have Venus and Uranus coming together and we're going to, um, we're going to advance this by a day from Friday to Saturday. So you can see Venus in the evening on Saturday coming through the conjunction to Uranus in Taurus. And we get about a three degree range. So if we push it forward, it's going to start separating by, you know, roughly Tuesday. So you could be experiencing this anywhere from yesterday all the way through about Tuesday of next week as a broad range within which things will likely manifest. But watch especially for Saturday into Sunday. That's when things are really cooking. Um, now, uh, the other thing that's happening concurrently over the weekend is we also have Mercury, also in the sign of Taurus, uh, moving through a trine uh, to Pluto. Now, that's really today, Friday, that that's happening. And I talked about that combination at the beginning of this week. So if you go back to Monday's video, you'll hear me talk about Mercury, Pluto, and Venus, Uranus at the same time. I'm going to speak more today about Venus and Uranus because that's really where the action's at over the weekend. Okay, so 
now that we've taken a look at the real-time clock. First, the I Ching. So the I Ching is an ancient Chinese oracle, and uh, it consists of 64 six-lined figures, sometimes referred to as hexagrams. And um, each of the hexagrams shows an interaction between yin or yang lines. The yin lines are broken. They're like two little dots, and the yang lines are solid, uh, like a solid line. And the hexagrams are comprised of interactions between yin and yang throughout 64 sort of archetypal stages of life that move in circles and cycles. Um, the study of these lines and the relationship of one line to another line within a hexagram or one hexagram to another hexagram within the 64 is sort of, you know, very basically speaking, what constitutes the study of the I Ching. When we pull or throw the I Ching, um, we are going to be asking a question as in any form of divination and then receiving a hexagram or two with changing lines, all of which address the nature of the situation with some core teachings. Often, for years now, in the way that I have prepared curriculum, whether you guys know it or not, I often throw the I Ching before I prepare my talk for the day. And then sometimes I'll actually exclusively show you sort of what the reading is, is doing in terms of helping me fill in the blanks or help me to focus on a certain uh, dimension of any given astrological transit. So here is what we're looking at with today's reading. I asked the I Ching, what would it help people to know about Venus's conjunction to Uranus? Almost like help us get to the archetypal core of this or give us, turn the jewel for us in some ways and, and help us understand. So the first hexagram that came back was hexagram number 46 which is sometimes translated as pushing upward. Now, this hexagram, I'm going to be focusing on a very basic uh, aspect of this particular hexagram because of the line that's changing. So hexagram 46 means pushing upward, as in sl something slowly but surely developing and moving upward toward the light, like a plant upward toward the sun. So you can imagine that kind of... Uh, that hexagram speaks very nicely to Venus and Uranus. Prometheus was the, the light bringer, the bringer of light slash fire and heat. And um, an, uh, Prometheus, often associated with Uranus, is a, is a figure of inspiration, liberation, freedom, uh, progress, hope, defiance, rebellion, especially when it comes to uh, you know asserting our will into the world and sort of shaping the world by means of our creative power and also when it comes to um you know the the, the bringing of illumination so uh, uh, uranus is associated with awakening very promethean so you have this image of something moving upward now of course there's an icarus like dimension to pro to the promethean story as well uh, like the icarus story flying too close to the sun burning the wings off falling down there's always something about Uranus that can tempt us to fly too high, to go too close to the sun, or to overestimate with a kind of hubris that the gods don't like our own human ability to, to fly so high. Uh, so this hexagram, in interestingly, is a lot, a lot of it is about upward movement, aspiration, moving upward toward a goal, an ideal, a dream, a vision, a hope, uh, freedom, etc. But there are some warnings in this hexagram that are very much like the story of Prometheus that have to do with coveting something high or overestimating our will and not respecting forces that are maybe bigger than ourselves or uh, not being careful enough uh, when it comes to our own arrogance or hubris. So it's an interesting hexagram to receive. Line six of this hexagram 
was changing along with one other line, but we're going to focus on line six. Uh, and the, this heck, this line sort of briefly summarized at the very top of the hexagram, and it represents someone pushing upward, but perhaps blindly. Um, and that if you just keep aspiring upward and upward through blind impulse, desire, greed, uh, etc., the, the the if you worship at the altar of the future and progress constantly. Uh, that can lead to mistakes. That can lead to falling. The reason for that is that when something reaches the top of a hexagram, it's sort of like the cup has filled up and then it's going to spill over. Um, so that which is full is eventually emptied. There's a seasonal cyclical kind of dynamic with this very Taoist-like uh, philosophy in the I Ching. Uh, so you have um, the tipping point at the sixth line and it's like you've aspired so high but if you keep moving upward blindly, you'll sort of tip over. So pushing upward blindly leads to mistakes. The second hexagram that comes about almost like, you know, the second hexagrams are tricky to read. They can be like, if you do the right thing, you know, you, it'll lead to this. Or if you do the wrong thing, it'll lead to this. Or here's something to think about and then juxtapose it with this idea. So second hexagrams are not, there's not just one way to read them. But the second hexagram that emerges through the changing lines is inexperience number four, and it has a lot to do with understanding that we don't know where we're going, that we don't know what we're doing, that we all have need of teachers, mentors, guides. From the time we're little, we need someone to hold our hand to, to help us learn how to walk. You know, we can't do it all right away, all on our own. No matter what stage of life that we are in, that same beginner's mindset is applicable. That if we think we know what we need all of the time, uh, we're in trouble because there's many times in life where we know what we need, but there's a lot of, there's also many times in life where we really don't know what we need. And if we're never capable of saying, you know what, I don't know what's best in this situation. So I'm going to kind of knock on the universe's door and be like, Hey, what should I do? Or what's best for me or for a situation or for other people around me? If we don't have that ability, you know, in our repertoire alongside of the brave, daring, aspirational qualities, you know, we're in trouble uh, because we need both. They're like two different muscles. You need to be able to assert yourself, make creative choices, you know, um, be a creator, a co-creator with the divine. But then there's also times where you need to go like, I just don't know what I'm doing, you know? So inexperience is that beginner's mindset. So if you keep this beginner's mindset, then when you're moving upward really high, like you're getting really high up there or you're moving for some, some lofty thing, you're so much less likely to fall or tumble or make a mistake or fall into some big error or pit or entanglement because you keep a beginner's mindset. You keep the sense of, this is what I want. I'm really excited. I'm going for it. But also somehow I'm a beginner. And if there needs to be a modification or an adjustment, or if there's even a hard no, that's cool. I'm going to stay curious because I'm a beginner, always a beginner. It's, we think that you're either one or the other. Like I'm strong, I'm bold, I'm confident, and I know what I want. Well, if I'm not a beginner, I'm not someone who's going to sit and, you know, be like always looking for some higher authority to tell me what to do. No, I'm sovereign, you know, and it's like, no, you can do both. You can be confident, brave, bold. You can be creative. And you can also say, yeah, and I've also got no clue. I'm hoping this works out, you know, but keeping that sort of Zen beginner's mindset. So how do we hold the tension of doing both at once? It's a far greater challenge for most of us than collapsing into total submissive, like I can't do anything, I just have to have some higher power guiding me along, or being like, I am the higher power, you know? So, you know, can we not find a little more nuance within our psyches to 
hold the tension between these two things. I think it's one of the things that these two hexagrams are saying as they sit near each other in the reading that I did for Venus and Uranus. What do you desire? What do you want? What's asking you to press forward with ambition into the future, to make progress, to break free, to pass, surpass limitations, to break old habits? That's the Venus-Uranus energy you're going to see sort of sparkling open in the next four to five days. If you can meet that energy, great. You should love it. Have fun with it. You know, it's like, um, I, it reminds me, the energy reminds me of how my littlest girl, Summer, you know, when I pull out like one of the sparkly colored popsicles, you know, there's like orange and red and she gets so excited. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> it's like she's going to pop and we go outside, you know, and we sit in the yard and it's so nice. And it's like that, like Venus Uranus is like a popsicle that you're riding to the moon or something in the, you know, in a summer night with a perfect temperature, it's, especially in Taurus, you know, in Venus's sign. So like, enjoy that, you know, enjoy that sparkly uh, feeling and that feeling of excitement and delight and enjoyment. At the same time, you know, we, I have to watch because there's a very good chance that we enter, we go outside into that scenery. Both girls have a cherry popsicle, you know, or maybe one girl has an orange and the other one has a cherry. And before you know it, someone's trying to slit the other one's throat. <laughs> like, like literally they're trying to kill each other because they're like, I wanted the orange. Well, I wanted the red. <laughs> so it's like, we have to like, my wife and I will like be like, this is good, this is fun. But we there, there's a way, like you have to be careful that it doesn't like tip over and then, all of the joy spills onto the floor and like to there's, you know, there's bloodshed and Lucifer has fallen from the skies and suddenly the front yard is, is total carnage. <laughs> you know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. So, and even if you've been a babysitter before, like, you know, there's that peak and then there's like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> it's going to go right over the top. So, you know, watch for that this weekend and, and try to stay in the mindset that I'm, I'm like a child. And I, even though I feel like I've got a handle on this and I'm, I'm riding the rocket ship, you know, to the moon that like I can crash. It is, I am capable of crashing. So how do I keep that in mind? I think that's the essence of what I was keep getting from the I Ching reading today. On that note, I have 10 other Venus Uranus themes that I'd like to look at today. So let's get into them. Number one, when you are turning the Venus Uranus jewel, and you're catching the light off from a certain, you know, a certain angle. One of the things that you might see is what I call gold fever. This would be that you become so enamored by something, sort of like the popsicle, uh, that you can get possessed by it. It can start off like uh, feeling like a simple walk in the country with bare feet. I'm earthing or whatever they call it. You know, I'm, I'm there's some kind of electromagnetic field that's pulsing up into my feet. I'm experiencing well-being. Yeah. When I was a kid, that was just called being barefoot. You know? <laughs> now there's like, <laughs> like, take a retreat to this foreign part of the world so you can walk on bare earth. It's like, oh my God, really? Have we just forgotten how to be barefoot? But no, you get what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not sure to be cynical. You can literally start off with something as simple and sort of innocent as a barefoot walk in the country. And before you know it, you could be jumping naked off the top of a waterfall and, you know, falling in love with Sven, the wandering yodeler. <laughs> you can feel that you're like Venus Uranus is like has grabbed me today. 
but this is what I'm talking about. There's, there's something where you can be captured by something that seems like, well, that's harmless joy. And before you know it, you're like, you know, you're, it's like in Scooby-Doo, you know, when they get the, like the, the whirly eyes because they've been transfixed by some ghost that there is um, a weirdly possessive quality to this energy and you can get seduced by it. So be careful Two would be idolatry. It's slightly different. It's when you put something or someone up on a pedestal. And th the problem with that is of course, then they're going to fall off the pedestal and you're going to think it's them, but at least half of the problem, I mean, they, maybe they are part of the problem, but at least half of the problem is the fact that you put them up there, you know, or I put them up there, whatever. We all do this. So be careful of putting things on pedestals oh, like that. And then they fall and then you think they're the problem and then they resent you because they're like, well, you're the one who projected all this stuff onto me and I'm human, you know? So be careful of, of, of putting things up like that, that probably will by their very nature fall down. Remember the hexagram, what rises to the top falls down eventually. Number three would be the marriage of spirit and matter. Um, if there is anything that is common in, you know, world religion, spiritual traditions, it is the distinction made between something base and something elevated. Sometimes it's talked about as spirit and matter. It's given many different names, right? But the idea here is that uh, Venus and Uranus in Taurus, very earthy sign, a sign of the moon and a sign of Venus, uh, are looking at, you know, the Promethean desire for something elevated and high, like something like fire. It's like light. It's very spirit-like. Uh, on the other hand, you have Venus, who's very earthy, more like matter, like the world of forms and the, the, the sensual world, the world of our senses. Uh, there is a potential in this transit for the marriage of those two things. Many world religions suffer from lack of imagination by saying, well, there's a higher world and then there's this base world. And the base world is what you're trying to get out of as you go to the higher world. Um, whereas once you get into the mystical dimension of most religious traditions, they will say, actually, the spiritual dimension is here within the material dimension. It's a matter of changing your consciousness. And anything in this earth is uh, a reflection of something spiritual and can be, uh, there can be this sacred alchemy where the, anything in the world can be spiritualized by, ver meaning it's not just base, degrading, egotistical, self-interested, temporary crap, right? That there's something about this world that with the right mindset, the right approach, the approach of gratitude, of beauty, of thankfulness, of appreciation, of love, uh, can become um, divine. And everything is in fact that way. It's only in consciousness that we somehow turn it into like some kind of distortion. So that's a, a teaching that might be just sort of hanging around right now intellectually for a lot of people. Number four would be freedom of expression. Don't tell me how to act. Don't tell me how to look. You know, I'm going to do and be and dress and express in the way that feels authentic and real and free. Now that might go too far in terms of like, I'm going to be provocative just to get a reaction or um, I'm going to the opposite extreme. And it's not just about being myself. It's about proving a point or holding a grudge or trying to irritate people or, you know, and I would be careful of that, but I would be aware of the need for uh, free expression. Freedom or experimentation within relationships, number five. It's sort of a similar uh, idea. Uh, we're now talking about the need for 
freedom or experimentation within dating relationships or marriage. That could be, for example, a moment of um, breakthrough sexually, sexual healing, sexual fun, excitement, rekindling the spark, uh, a moment of breakthrough in relationships that have been stuck or stagnant. Um, it can also be about the need to be free from a relationship, as in I'd rather be experiencing myself as an individual than being coupled or, you know, usually Venus Uranus transits are associated with uh, oftentimes when people are, uh, you know, maybe someone's coming out of the closet or they're transitioning or they might be um, trying polyamory or anything that is about um, probably breaking out of a more like uh, normal sort of quote unquote normal or like societally accepted or something. So anything that's on the margins or that, uh, you could, you could even experience prejudice or, um, people, you know, being, uh, mean or something like, Oh, you're different. So Venus Uranus says, yeah, I'm different. And I, you know, I'm gonna, um, like, I think, is it, is it pride month? Is that May or is it June? Anyway, it's very like, I feel like Venus Uranus is like pride month. Um, it's about being open and free and um, uh, celebrating, you know, what we love. It, just love what you love freely, you know. <laughs> That's very Venus and Uranus. Now, um, number six is, uh, now, well, just to speak to the freedom or experimentation within relationships, sometimes you do see like adultery or affairs because someone is feeling bored or stuck. That's something to be a little bit careful of, like if it gets to that point. The breakthrough might be in going to counseling or speaking to someone versus going and destroying a relationship because you just need to be free and you're not communicating. So that can always go in maybe that direction too, broadly speaking, like um, the need to break a boundary or a limit can be destructive, even with Venus Uranus. Going down to go up. This is interesting. We had a, a bird that is like nesting in a wreath on our front door, like a flower wreath. And it's made a little nest. And so I went out to let the dogs out the other night and the bird, uh, and I forgot, oh yeah, the bird's there, right? So I opened the door rather abruptly and usually very careful with it because it's got eggs in there too. And the bird flew out of the nest and into the house. And it kept going up, like up. And we're, you know, my wife and I were like, okay, Ashley and I are like, okay, you got to go down little mama. Like you got to go down and then you can go out and up, but you got to go down to go up and out. And the bird's instinct was to fly up. And man, it was a powerful lesson. We, I managed to uh, capture the bird uh, very gently. I came up behind it and sort of created a little tent grap grapple with a towel and managed to be it was totally fine and it's out there now in its nest so uh, i was very happy that we managed to get mama bird out of the house without any harm she didn't abandon the nest either which is good so and i was reflecting on it as you know i was thinking about venus and uranus and i was thinking yeah sometimes we need to get into the body the world the valley of the world before as a way or as a means of getting to the mountaintop. So regularly in spiritual life, we think about the mountain. We think about ascent. We think about evolving and enlightening up. Um, this Venus-Uranus dynamic could say, listen, paradoxically, the way to go up is to go down, which means you have to do what is counter-instinctual. You have to somehow acknowledge or honor things that maybe you want to judge as beneath you or bad or something like that. 
Um, for example, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that repression accomplishes nothing. And in some ways, we have to deal with what we are repressing if we are to alchemize those desires or feelings or needs in a meaningful way. But you can't do that if you don't even acknowledge some things, right? So the idea of the bird needing to go down to go out and up. And I just kept thinking about that. That is a deep, there's a deep spiritual teaching there for all of us, if that makes sense. All right, number seven is aesthetic or creative revolution or inspiration. So I've got a new wardrobe. I've got a new creative idea. Uh, anything that constitutes a breakthrough around creativity, design, beauty, feminine, anything feminine, anything that's eccentric or beautiful or fun or involves women or sisters or the, the sensual goddess stuff. Number eight, the intelligence of the body and senses, kind of like going down to go up. We, we live, you know, in a sort of post-Kantian world where, you know, nothing. many, many Western philosophers and religious traditions around the world have always said your senses are not reliable, okay? Well, A, that's kind of stupid, in my opinion, to say that your senses are not reliable. I think it could be said that your senses may not always be reliable, you know, but your mind isn't always reliable either. So, there, somewhere in between saying, look, the senses can't be trusted. They're only out for a quick bite to eat. You know, they just want Twinkies. You can't trust them. The material world is a place that, you know, it's not good. And if you follow your senses, you'll fall into a well and you'll never get out. And okay, like, you know, we get it. So, but isn't it also true that, like, I think of the, the poem. So I'm going to read you guys a poem. This is called Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. It says, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. One of my favorite poems of all time, I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but our, our bodies and this earth are also an expression of the intelligence of the divine. And it's very easy to forget that because we can struggle with the senses and come to distrust uh, them because sometimes the impulses get the best of us. There's something that's called impulse control. There is, you know, learning to not be overly trusting in aspects of our mind or our body that can lead us astray. But let's not go too far here. The body and the world are also, um, especially in the Christian tradition, the sort of mystical Christian tradition that forms a part of my background. There's a reason, even if you don't believe in the story, literally, theologically, when God comes into human form and one of the philosophical words to denote this is called kenosis. It means like emptying oneself. Like, like there's, this world is also divine inherently. It is divine. It's not, well, 
you know, only if you meditate, then it can be divine. No, it is divine. And so that doesn't, it, it means inherently that there is a way to experience the body and the world and the senses that is absolutely and perfectly beautiful and to be trusted. So that's part of Venus, Uranus, and Taurus in my humble opinion. Uh, nine is about, you know, greed and get rich quick schemes like Bernie Madoff style. Like, you know, he had a ton of planets in Taurus, including Venus and Taurus. When you think about like Venus, Uranus, you think of like, oh, how can I get something that I want really quickly and defiantly and break rules? And so be careful of like seductive, you know, get rich quick schemes. Number 10, on the other hand, this energy can be about, hey, I have an idea that would be attractive, uh, that might that provide more a new stream of revenue, that could be a, a useful, a good offering, right? So innovative business ideas that are, you know, uh, not about greed, but are about, you know, innovation and something that might be a truly useful product for someone that people are attracted to or desire, you know, something that's good or useful. So well, that's that's the uh, other side of the coin there. All right. Well, that's what I've got for today. That is our exploration of Venus and Uranus. I hope you guys have found this useful. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share your comments. By the way, if you end up getting grabbed by this transit, use the hashtag grabbed in the comment section. Tell us your story or email grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. Uh, collecting stories as always. Try to do like an episode a month or something like that, catching up with what you guys have been through. Uh, ancient name for the planets was Grahas, Grabbers one of the ancient names. Grabbed at nightlightastrology.com is the email address. Don't forget you have just two more days to sign up for the new class, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic. You have today, Friday, tomorrow, Saturday, where you can use that early bird payment. So make sure you use that. Uh, there's still some need-based tuition options too, if uh, that would be helpful. Any questions whatsoever about any of it, email us info at nightlightastrology.com. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend, and I can't wait to start studying with a new group of students. I will see you guys in class soon. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.